Hey everybody, welcome to ARE Live. I'm Mark Tier, the founder of Black Spectacles. And today we're going to be talking about the five different question types on ARE, on the ARE. Um, we're going to discuss, uh, discuss uh, why and how the questions are written, as well as some real nice, um, I guess, tactics for how to think about the questions. I think you're going to find that there's probably, you know, kind of a, a good overarching strategy for how to tackle all of them, even though they are slightly different. Um, but that being said, there are some nuances to each type of question. So, um, so we're going to be going through those today. At the end, by the way, we're also going to um, we have some interesting tips um, to help folks um, deal with uh, test anxiety, which is a pretty common uh, thing, as well as some other great ideas for how to um, you know how to tackle the exam. So that'll be toward the end. Um, when you're done with this episode, though, I think you'll have a strong understanding for how to tackle these different question types um, and a little bit of an understanding of of how they actually go about writing them. Um, be on the lookout for our next ARE live broadcast where we're going to discuss construction and evaluation with Mike Newman. Um, we're going to use a, a mock exam to cover issues related to bidding and negotiating processes, support of the construction process, and evaluation of completed projects. Um, you can actually go to blackspectacles.com slash podcast right now and register for that guy um, so you can make sure that you, you don't miss that one. Um, uh, as it relates to updates to our products, you may have heard that we're the first ever, uh, Black Spectacles is the first ever NCARB approved test prep provider for all six of, of the divisions of ARE 5.0. Uh, and that includes our video lectures, our practice exams, and our flashcards. So in addition to that, um, now you can join our wait list for our May group coaching uh, cohort. Um, it's been a really awesome program we've uh, we've put together that I think really helps solve the number one reason why it takes forever to pass the exam, which is, you know, all of us architects are busy doing a million other things. Time always gets in the way. And so um, we love this program because it helps provide the structure and support that, uh, you know, we all need, um, you know, in, our, in the life of an architect to pass all the exams. Um, I also always like to tell people if you'd like your boss to pay for your Black Spectacles membership, uh, be sure to tell them about our firm licenses. Regardless of your firm size, we offer uh, all kinds of different licenses that give access to multiple users, uh, it provides access to a group administrator reporting and all that good stuff. You can find that at blackspectacles.com slash firms to more about that. Um, and then lastly, we have a special discount on Black Spectacles individual memberships, uh, which I'll share at the end of the show. Um, my guest today, um, I'm pleased to, uh, to introduce, is Heather Rivera. Uh, she's an architect originally from California who now practices in Massachusetts and New Hampshire. Uh, she has experience in all aspects of architecture, interiors, construction, and, and project management, so she has really diverse experience. Um, she spent a, a, a big chunk of her time uh, as an architect working on healthcare and, interestingly, prison projects. Um, uh, when she's not hanging out on the, uh, the Cape with her family, she likes to, uh, she works as a resident, as our resident architect here at Black Spectacles to answer any questions that you guys have. So many of you, as you kind of uh, go through, um, you know, the lectures, you guys have questions um, that are, you know, obviously architecture specific. And so oftentimes Heather uh, is the one who who helps out with uh, with those architecture related questions. So Heather, welcome to uh, ARE Live. Hey, thanks for having me, Mark. Hello, everybody. Yeah, happy to have you. So um, with that, I think maybe let's go ahead and, and hop right in to the first uh, question type. Uh, the first one we have here, of course, is uh, is a multiple choice type of question. So uh, Heather, when you think about that type of a question, um, you know, what are you thinking about? What are the, the key, key ideas there? 
Okay, so I think this is probably the most common, the most old school type of question you see, a multiple choice question. Ask your question, it gives you a bunch of answers and you choose the right one. I think you're, yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. Um, uh, you, would you, should we walk through this first one here? Yeah, that would be great. So would you like me to read this? Yeah, go right ahead. Okay, so if everyone can see the screen, read along with me. An architect who recently started her own firm gets a small home renovation. She sends a draft of a contract to the client but never receives a finalized version. After two months of producing drawings, the architect submits them for permit. While the drawings are in permitting, the architect invoices the client for payment. The client goes silent and does not send payment to the architect. What courses of actions are available to the architect to receive payment? So I think the first thing that I would do here is make sure that I read the entire question. Make sure that I read what the question is asking and not projecting something that I'm thinking of that I did at my job or thinking of that I read a scenario in a textbook at school. So make sure that I actually understand that question first. Now, before I even look at the available answers, I wanna see if I can answer that question in my mind without being jaded one way or the other. <clears throat> so now that I've done that, and I, I kind of have an idea what I'm thinking right now, but I'm still not very sure. So what I wanna start doing is I wanna start eliminating wrong answers. So now I'm gonna actually look at the answers available to me. So the first one, A, says nothing. Architect never executed an agreement. I have no leg to stand on. Well, that actually sounds pretty plausible. <clears throat> I'm gonna put that in the maybe column. Next one says the architect can put a lien on the client's home. Well, that sounds a little odd to me because every time I think of lien, I think of payments and construction times. And I also have read several times and heard several times that liens are dealing with a GC and payment at the end of the project. So that just sounds a little iffy to me. Next one is the architect can withdraw the permit drawings from the city. Well, that just doesn't sound very professional. Why would I give someone something and then take it back? And then the next one says the architect should issue a formal certificate of payment. Now, similar to option B, certificate of payment has something to do with construction administration during a project, not during payment, uh, during the design phase or the permitting phase. So that also doesn't sit too well. So based on my reaction to what I read through, the only one that really fit the bill was A. So Mark, I think I'm gonna go with A on this one. Yeah, I think that makes sense here. And I, as you're going through these options, um, what I'm realizing, uh, or I think the, the thing, to, the, the comment to make here um, is that um, there's a couple of things that you're mentioning. So in addition to, I love the idea of trying to answer the question before reviewing the answers, because that kind of keeps you honest if you think about it. Because um, sometimes, because one of the key things that they're doing in, uh, in, in these questions is they're trying to distract you. Um, in fact, that's actually uh, one of the names of the options that they give you. They're actually technically called distractors. Um, and so it's a really smart idea, I think, uh, like you just said, um, to first just try to answer the question without reviewing the answers because um, it will help you stay focused perhaps on what the real answer is and maybe you won't be as easily distracted. Um, I think the second thing to maybe add here is that um, a lot of times, I suppose, 
um, really reading, like you mentioned, the first thing, really read the question. Um, the answer is is essentially in that question. Um, and sometimes it's in the detail of the question. Um, so of course, in this one, uh, this is a little detail, but never receives the finalized version. I mean, maybe, um, maybe Heather, you would, you would, maybe you'd agree with me that perhaps that's the key little detail there um, that really sets up um, the, uh, the answer. Do you have any comments, I guess, around, around those two things about, you know, um, um, you know, sort of the distractors as well as really getting into the detail of the question? I, I think absolutely to both of them. The distractors really come in in the second part of a question where you're beginning to look at the available questions. NCARB is not trying to trick you, but they are making sure that you're paying attention. And then they're going to give you all of the information that you need in that item stem and that question at the very beginning. And like you mentioned, they gave you exactly what you needed to know. Never receives a finalized version. They're telling you right now you don't have a contract. So what can you do? Yep. You can't do much. You don't really have a leg to stand on. Yep. And I think, um, and also, I mean, that's just the key is that sometimes you read these fast and you miss the detail. Um, so just sort of reading them carefully. So I suppose that's the one we'll add here at the top. Um, read the question carefully. And then look for details. These are sort of related together here. Um, okay, that's great. Uh, well, thank you uh, for that one. Um, Heather, is there anything else you want to add here to the multiple choice sort of approach? Um, just real quickly, and this can go for any of them, as, as we were talking about making sure that you read it carefully. A lot of people like to use their pencils and just tap on every single word as you go through, mm -hmm. just so you make sure that you're reading every word and not missing mm -hmm. a knot or throwing in a, a negative or, or something that's not there. Yeah, that's a good one. I think, um, and... Um, as you were saying that, I was also remembering um, about the distractors. One of the key things about the the other options is that usually, the, I mean, they're going to be plausible. So, um, and and maybe that again sort of leads itself to uh, this this bit about trying to answer the question uh, before reviewing it, because those those distractors are oftentimes, you know, you kind of read them, um, they're, they're going to kind of seem plausible. So, trying to answer that question before you review the answers seems like a good approach. And of course. Um, um, once you've done that, you know, you're, you're looking at probably some basic um, ideas around, you know, eliminating options um, in order to kind of narrow, narrow the field here. So, okay. Um, so the next uh, qu question type we have here is a check all that apply uh, type of question. Um, um, Heather, again, how, how to, you know, let's, let's maybe go through this one and then, um, and then you can sort of tee up the, uh, uh, the principles that you have. Okay, so I'm going to just get right to the question right now. Yeah. Which of the following daylighting strategies should be used in all climate regions to improve energy efficiency? Check the four that apply. So the check all that apply questions we've seen before, probably on tests, even through in grammar school. Honestly, if I can speak candidly, not my favorite um, because you're really, you're really on it. You either know it or you don't, and oftentimes you don't get partial credit. So I always find these pretty daunting, but they're there and we deal with them. Uh, and the most important thing to know is for these questions, you just have to know the material. So you can't walk into the ARE not studying at all because questions like this are just gonna, you know, the, the chances of getting them right with not, not knowing the material is gonna be pretty difficult. 
So before again, before I even look at my six options in the bottom, I'm gonna look at the question, see what do I know? Well, they're asking for daylighting. What do I know about daylighting? Daylighting is good. Everyone likes natural light. You want to use your building and plan it to optimize daylighting. Glare is bad. <clears throat> you don't want to outfit your building with mirrors or shiny surfaces. And let's see. Daylighting, natural light is preferred by a lot of users. Mm -hmm. So just kind of talking through what daylighting is before I even look at the answers is great. So mm -hmm. now let's look at the answers. A says provide active heating with sunlight collection. Well, while they say sunlight in here, I'm wondering what they mean by active heating. So that's kind of on my wishy-washy list right now. Okay. Uh, B says maintain on-site daylight access. That makes sense. We just said how we would plan to use that. C says utilize reflection and incorporate diffuse light. Yes, that makes sense. D says use sunlight to increase stack ventilation. Now here's that little distractor you were talking about before. They're throwing sunlight into it, but what does stack ventilation have to do with daylighting? So again, a little iffy to me. Mm -hmm. Manage glare. We talked about that before I even looked at the questions. So yes, and collect sunlight architecturally. That's what we do in this profession is we design things to improve life for people. So that makes sense. Now, just reading through those one times, one, two, three, four, I have four that are possible and it says check the four that apply. So I feel pretty confident answering the question like that. Mm -hmm. When I think about this type of question, I think there's two things that, that I think of. One is, um, uh, or things to note to everyone. One is um, that uh, you should know that uh, as best as NCARB has told us, um, they're not gonna do a check all that apply, which is, um, and of course, that's a, the type. The, that's the formal name of this type of question. Um, but instead, they're going to give you a certain number. They're going to say, "Give us, you know, check four that apply or check three, um, which does help sort of limit the complexity here. Because um, if you don't know if it's one or two or three or four, um, sometimes, uh, you know, again, the anxiety about what the right question is can can really kind of go up. Um, the other thing is to really trust your gut, or or let's say, don't second guess yourself necessarily. Um, because as, as, as Heather just demonstrated, you know, you kind of go through the question, you kind of go through the answers and you end up with uh, four of them. And I'm like, well, you know, um, oftentimes I think the, the good advice is go with your first instinct um, on, a, on a question type like this. Um, Heather, do you have any anything to add to that? I'm just going to agree with that. I think yeah. more often than not, you, you guess right the first time. And when you start second guessing, that's when you start getting into trouble. Agreed. All right, awesome. So grow with your gut, and then uh, they'll, you know, you'll, you'll, uh, there'll be a specific, a specific number they will be looking for in these types of questions. So, um, okay, so that's the check all that that apply. Um, and I don't know, maybe maybe we could even say that maybe these will be a little bit easier because, you know, again, they're giving you four. Uh, they're giving you a specific number. So, again, uh, you should uh, maybe feel a little bit more confident about these types of questions. How about fill-in-the-blank types of questions, uh, Heather? Um, it, you know, how should we go about uh, tackling this type of question? All right. Well, fill-in-the-blank, uh, what we're looking at right now looks like a bunch of numbers. 
Oftentimes it will just be a, a sentence or a clause that's missing some information. So in that sort of instance, I would try again, what we've been doing with the other ones, answering the question before you even see your um, available options, right? Try and place something in that makes sense. In this situation, we're looking at numbers. So I need to just, again, NCURB is giving us information, giving us everything that we need to answer the question right in front of us. So what I see here is that they're showing us a guaranteed maximum price or in GMP with a certain number. And they're saying that there was a change to that number with a change order. And then they're showing us what that new change is. Now, if I look at those numbers, I'm trying to figure out where they got that $1,511,644 from. Mm -hmm. And I pull up my calculator, which is a tool on your computer. Yeah, I think if I pull this up here, I can just show everyone. Um, so this is from our practice exams here at Black Spectacles, which is which is modeled against uh, modeled after the real uh, the real thing. So just so you know, um, Heather's talking about pulling up a calculator. Well, you're going to have a real calculator. So for example, um, you'd have something like this. Go ahead, Heather. Sure. And I know a lot of people are going to complain about this calculator. It's pretty old <laughs> school. It's not the most intuitive thing or easiest right. to use. But the goal that NCARB is doing here is to keep a, a baseline for everybody. Everybody gets the exact same tools and, the, and this is privy to the same privileges. Right. <clears throat> That was my side note, sorry. So now if we go back to our GMP, if we just subtract that $7,166 from that GMP prior to the change, mm -hmm. we're gonna get that first number. And so just based on the information that they've given me, I can see that all they've done is added two numbers together to get something. So I'm going to go to the next one, and they're showing me that once again, there was another change order. How much has it changed? What is the new GMP, including the change order? Mm -hmm. Well, all they did before, based on what I just looked at, is they added two numbers together. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to whip out that calculator again. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take that new number that they have there, that you have starred there, add the 6,456 to it, mm -hmm. and call it a day. And you're going to get one... Five one eight one hundred will be the answer. Okay. And I um, recommend doing the math just twice. The first time I did this, I myself had a um, a typo, so I'd recommend doing it twice just to make sure you get the same answer both times. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, also, um, you should know, and this is something that you know we have set up here and on our practice exams is you go in here and you type in you know, whatever numbers you want, you know, you might, I know this is sort of a silly example because the number is so huge, um, you know, 1,518,000, whatever it is, right? Um, most people aren't gonna really consider typing uh, the words out, but you might, uh, you might, if the answer was four, you might type the number four, uh, you might actually type in the word four, you might put a capital F or a lowercase F. Um, so just know that, um, and I'm remembering when we were sitting in with NCARB, um, and we were asking about fill in the blank question types. Um, I mean, you know, go with your gut, but just know that, you know, don't sweat it. These guys have, they've thought through, and this goes even to the, um, some of these other question types we have coming up is that, you know, they know that someone might type the word for, 
They know that someone might put in a capital F. They know that someone might put the number four in there. So they've accommodated all those kinds of different uh, variations that someone might encounter as they, uh, you know, as they, they go into these uh, next type of questions. Yeah, I think that's a great point to note. A lot of times people are worried, you know, in an answer like this, what happens if I don't put the commas in? Yeah. Do I get it wrong? Right. No, you're not going to get it wrong. Like you're, like Mark is saying, you do have, they have a little bit of a built-in buffer. Yeah, I think that's a good word. Uh, buffer. Good. I almost wrote buffet because I haven't had lunch yet, so apparently I'm hungry. <laughs> um, okay. So, uh, so number four uh, is our dragon place type. Um, how, how how do you like to uh, approach uh, you know this particular type of question? So I like these dragon dra uh, dragon place ones or drag and drop. Um, mm -hmm. The the vignettes are no longer on the exam, so these are pretty nice. It's the closest you get to actually designing, as you would, um, I think, a lot of us like in the architecture profession. So <clears throat> once again, NCARB is giving us all the material that we need to answer this question. So let's read this question. Create a lighting layout with an even 40-foot candle at a three-foot work plane given the nine-foot-high ceiling with a two-by-two two ceiling grid. And we're going to drag and place lights into the ceiling plan. Mm -hmm. So below, we see a ceiling plan or an RCP, and we know that we need to put lights in it to have a consistent light source of 40-foot candles throughout the whole project. And to the right of that, I see a little diagram. Well, NCARM is not going to give me a diagram if I don't need to use it. Exactly. So let me look at that. All right. Well, that looks like there's a light source. They're telling me how many foot candles are at a given level. So now going back to the question, the question is saying I have a nine, high, nine foot high ceiling. I have a three foot high work plane. So the difference between nine foot and three foot is six feet. So I'm looking at a six foot light throw. And they're telling me that I need 40 foot candles. So I'm going to go down to that little diagram they're giving me. On the right-hand side, I see six foot. I'm going to scroll over to where I can see an intersection with the line for 40 foot candles. And I'm going to drop down, and I see that it says two feet. So that means that each light source has a radius that can throw light for two feet on every side. So that means that these lights from the perimeter of the wall need to be two feet in. So I'm gonna start looking at this grid here. And in this situation, we can already see where the correct answers are with the green highlighting. And is not gonna show you where to place yeah, them. Yeah, we cheated a little bit here. We gave you guys the answers by um, highlighting these, uh, these areas in green, but go ahead, you're right. But as you can see, uh, all four of them are two feet from the perimeter. And if you add two feet and two feet together, you get four feet. Right. And so they're four feet from one another. And they're just, once again, they're not two feet from one another because if you had a two foot and a two foot overlap, you would have that center area where you would have a really high, really concentrated foot candle. So again, each of these are kind of working. Each of these lights have a radius of light that they're throwing all to themselves. That's right, and so just to give you guys a little sense here, so here's, maybe you can see this a little bit better, um, uh, the diagram, and, and again, this is from our practice exams. So you'll have 
Um, and again, uh, the green here won't be highlighted, uh, but you'll have uh, the ability to select this guy and drag, drag them in there based on the location that you want to put them in. And again, I just keep saying it, uh, you won't see the green little square, so uh, you're going to have to figure this out on your own where they go, but just to sort of demonstrate how that works. But as you can see here, you will have, uh, you know, in, in, in a question like this, if there's any sort of relevant data, um, it will be there off to the side to sort of pull from. And again, I think for this specific type of a question, it's worth noting, um, you know, when you're seeing a cut sheet like this, remember that light is cut in half. So you're only seeing half of the, um, of the, the diagram here, which is, um, so again, it's two feet from the center. So that means, as you, as you mentioned, you know, it's going to be four feet um, uh, that these guys are going to want to be, uh, or that this thing is going to throw for you. That's a good point. Um, so, okay. Um, so I suppose with this one, um, uh, in terms of it being a unique type, um, again, I think what you said at the beginning, uh, which is really to sort of understand what the question is really asking us, go to the question for, uh, you know, for the details and then, um, and then kind of like, you know, it sounds kind of straightforward in a way, sort of work the problem, um, as you work through, uh, as you sort of, um, with all the pieces, I suppose, that you have here. Is there anything else there to add? Um, not quite as applicable in 5.0, but it still could be applied to this um, question, is that NCARB is not concerned about the design integrity of how you're answering it. Mm -hmm. They're just making sure that you're meeting the qualifiers that they're giving you. So don't try and make a, a, a pretty shape or a pretty lighting pattern. Just do the question quantitatively as they're asking. That's a great point. And uh, I'm looking at our questions that we've got coming through here. Stacy is asking, you know, will we need to rotate the objects after we drop, uh, we drag and drop them? And I'm guessing the reason you're asking is because you're seeing the word rotate here. If I back, let me re, uh, reload this question here, um, just so you guys can sort of see probably what she saw. So when you come here and you drag this in here, sometimes there's an option to rotate it. And so um, the point here. Um, is that sometimes you might need to rotate. I'm not exactly sure how it works actually um, on our, our thing here. Oh, there you go. So you could type in the, the angle and the, the degree. Um, so in some cases, depending on what it is that they're asking you to drag and drop, there may be some additional functionality for this particular type of question. For this particular question, you, you don't need to rotate it. But um, you know that functionality does exist um, throughout the practice exam. So just know that that might be something you might run into. Um, okay, let's go to the uh, the fifth question type, which is the new infamous uh, hotspot one. Um, Heather, thoughts on this one? Sure. So this is the last question type that you are sure to encounter on the exam. And oddly enough, the hotspot is the new hottest um, testing mechanism across all different disciplines right now. So let's jump into this question. You're designing a two-story home with a 20-foot by 40-foot footprint for winter, winter passive solar heating and active PV solar panels on the roof. The building is 20 feet tall from grade to eave with a pitched roof. A 45-degree sun angle in winter must clear the trees and provide full solar access to the south-facing windows and roof. No trees can be removed. Where is the best place to put this? So before even looking at my available options. Let's look at the question and see what they're giving us. So we have a two-story home 
that we need to put on a plot of land. We know that there's a cold climate because they're talking about winter passive solar heating. And we know that they really wanna get as much PV or as much daylighting or solar energy as they can with their PV panels on the roof. So what do I know with all of this? Well, I know that the, that, excuse me, that sun, the strongest sun comes from the south. So we're going to want to have those PV panels maximizing their southern exposure. And what do I know about these colder climates? I know that there's two major tree types. There's the coniferous trees and there are the deciduous trees. Coniferous trees are like your Christmas tree, your pine trees. They don't shed their needles. So if they're standing there, they're gonna have the same coverage 12 months out of the year. But I do know that deciduous trees in this climate like to lose their leaves. So during the winter, they're gonna, there's gonna be no leaves there. So the sun's gonna be able to pound through a lot better than if it was all pine trees. So those are kind of the things that I know in my head before I look at this. So now I'm looking at the plan uh, and I see a bunch of circles. So I'm looking down at my legend and it's saying that north is up. That's great, that's straightforward, easy to understand. The clear circles or the white circles are my birch trees. We were just talking about this, these are deciduous. The black ones are the pine trees. Okay, we're talking about those are coniferous. And then they're showing me those footprint for the home so I can kind of get an idea of scale. And there are three clearings. We know that I can't remove any trees, so I'm either gonna go in kind of this clearing one, two, or three. And let's see, I know I don't want a lot of pine trees, and the two on the left look like they have a lot of pine trees. The one on the right looks like they don't and that it's going to maximize sunlight. And to get the biggest throw coming over their lights, I need to push that building up as far north to the, the top of the tree line as I can. So Mark, I think what I would mm -hmm. like to do is in that lower right-hand clearing and that area, yep, place that house. Yep. So um, let me go over to, we have this queued up here on, um, on our practice exam um, here at Black Spectacles. And what's interesting is, so remember this is a, what's the type here? This, I can always forget the name of the type here, the hotspot. So this is about clicking, right? Um, so in this case, so when I was drawing on that PDF, of course I drew the home, um, but now that NCARB doesn't give you any method for drawing, uh, but instead they give you the ability to click. So as you'll see here, as I put my cursor um, on the, uh, in the, um, sort of in the, in the field of play, as it were, um, what I'm looking to do is I'm looking to click actually um, in a particular spot. And so for example, here, I'm gonna go ahead and click there. Um, hopefully you guys can see the little, the little blue X that, uh, you can, that now appears. And so, um, so that would be where I would, you know, as the question asks, you know, what's the best uh, site location for the building to meet these requirements? So the answer is, I'm clicking here. It's kind of a weird thing, right? Where you're kind of clicking in a spot and it's, you know, your answer is here. Um, but that's essentially the, the way these types of questions work. Anything else to add there, um, Heather? Um, yeah, I mean, 
I personally find it a little bit uncomfortable at first, right? You're just clicking on a screen without a defined area or response. But the, a thing to note is that, again, NCARB isn't going to have one pinpoint place that you need to click. There's going to be a small buffer that as long as you're clicking within that close area, you're, you're okay. That was my main concern with these at first. Yeah, and so I think uh, to add to that, um, I remember again when we were with NCARB um, a few years ago, a couple years ago, um, again, there was this open question about like, well, gee, like how do they, how are they going to know, um, um, you know, uh, you know, is there a tiny, tiny, tiny little spot that I have to click um, or is there some way that I can actually, is there like a, a zone or a range? And sorry, let me undo this here quick for you guys. So, um, so again, this is, this is the actual question and you, you're never really going to see this, but what's kind of going on behind the scenes is, you know, essentially in the software, there's like a little box there's like a little zone you can kind of see like this um, that NCARB has kind of created. And and the way the software works is as long as you put an X somewhere in that box, sorry, that was a terrible X, um, uh, but as long as you put some kind of an X somewhere in that box, you might put an X here, you might put an X here, you might put an X there. Like it doesn't really matter. So when I come back to, to this guy, like I could have clicked over here, I could have clicked over here, I could have clicked over here. Um, Sorry, I want to make sure the, the, the webinar catches up here so you guys can all see this, um, right? So I could click there or I could move my click. The point is that um, they've created this zone so that obviously if I click over here, that's not going to work. If I click over here um, in the other um, area, that's not going to work. Um, so folks often hang, have anxiety like, oh, my God, do I have to, you know, put it, you know, within one micron um, or one millimeter of, of, of being right or wrong? Well, the answer is, you know, they, what they try to do is they try to provide these the types of questions that, um, again, they can have um, something that's much more uh, like this, where there's sort of a range, you know, like this right here is sort of the range of clicking that that folks are, or that the, the exam software is kind of looking for. Yeah, thanks for uh, marking that up. It's nice to see that visual. It's actually been interesting as we try to create this stuff here at Black Spectacles to kind of get into those levels, that level of detail to try to figure out like, oh, how does that actually work? Um, and so I think that's uh, pretty nice uh, once we sort of understand it to share with you guys so you guys can have, have an idea as well. Um, anything else to add here, uh, Heather, on the hotspot? I don't think so. I think you covered it. Okay. So I know um, uh, you had some, uh, I thought were really interesting ideas about uh, just a general approach to this exam. Um, what are those thoughts? Yeah, so these are just some general tips for taking the ARE. As I'm sure almost all of us can attest to, it's not necessarily a fun process, um, but it's necessary and it's a rite of passage to become registered. And so there's so much weight on your shoulders, so much anxiety to take these tests that we really need to arm ourselves and be the best us and use our best brain when we're taking these. Um, so I've, I have a few remarks in talking to people, what's worked for them in taking these tests just to kind of overcome that aspect of things. And some things that people have mentioned are getting to the testing center early. Um, and as silly as it sounds sometimes, just taking some deep breaths, doing some yoga poses or stretching, listening to music on your way in to kind of calm your nerves, or even taking public transportation or having a driver um, bring you in or a friend bring you in 
So you can really just take this time before the exam to relax and not be too stressed out. Uh, another suggestion, and this is not available at all test centers, but you could still do it as the clock starts to tick, is right when you sit down, um, before you answer question one, take your piece of scratch paper and do a quick brain dump. And I'm not saying you sit there for 10 minutes, but if you have acronyms in your head or keywords that you don't want to forget, just put them on paper so you can clear that memory in your brain up for working right now. Something that worked great for me is when I would hit a question and get so stressed out and kind of just start, for lack of better words, freaking out that I didn't know the answers, I would start counting by sevens. So seven, 14, 21, 28. And it's not a rote way of counting. So it really made me think about things and putting my brain into this mindset of thinking and not freaking out really actually did this uh, trick of calming me down. Some people go into the exams with rubber bands on their wrists and literally snap them back into reality. So if you know, they pull on it, snap you back. That's awesome. <laughs> I think that what's fair to say here, so those are really great, a uh, great couple of ideas. And again, as I'm remembering, is when I did this, um, a couple of these were uh, were helpful for me. I think the, the key here, uh, which I don't know, maybe it's not said very often, is just that te test anxiety is a real thing. It's actually pretty common. Um, and, and maybe it's maybe common is understating it. Maybe everyone has some level of test anxiety. Uh, of course, um, regardless of, you know, assuming that's not debilitating, um, the idea here, right, is to just sort of like dampen it down or settle it down as much as you can so that you can, you know, focus and be successful um, on the test. Um, and uh, and these are some really good tips, uh, which as you can imagine, I mean, yoga, listening to music, deep breathing, have someone else take you. These are all about like not stressing yourself out. These are about like lowering your levels of anxiety or lowering your stress level um, so that, uh, again, so that you're calm. And I think, again, the key there is, you know, uh, it's more likely that you're going to be successful sort of if your mind is in a calm state than if you're, you know, kind of uh, full of anxiety. So, you know, do what you can uh, to, uh, to sort of settle those things down. Is there anything else there that you want to add, um, Heather? No, I, I think just to kind of wrap things up, um, as a couple key strategies to going into these AREs, a lot of people have mentioned um, starting with the case studies before jumping into the other types of questions. Mm -hmm. uh, because those are so time consuming, a lot of people feel that that is a good approach for them. So that's something to keep in mind. And in general, questions should take two to three minutes to answer. So if you're spending 10 or 15 minutes trying to work out some complicated HVAC calculation, drop it and move on. Um, you're not going to be penalized for incorrect answers either. So if, if you need to guess at something, that's okay. They're not going to take points away from you for getting something wrong. Yeah, I think, and to that point, um, you know, so you can imagine, I mean, everybody knows um, how long each uh, uh, test is, you know, how much time you're going to have to take it uh, to take each test. You're going to know how many questions there are. So you can do a quick kind of back of the napkin before you go in there, like, all right, I have a minute and a half for each question. By the time I get to 10 minutes, this is where I should be. By the time I'm at 30, this is where I should be. So you can kind of, you know, managing your time is all about kind of having awareness of where you are as it relates to that. Um, and then as it relates to case studies, um, so one thing that uh, is clear and is important for everyone to know 
is that they're all of the questions are worth the same amount. So a case study question is not worth more than a regular just multiple choice question. So oftentimes, as you mentioned, some folks will say, hey, geez, I got to start with the case studies because those take the longest. I want to make sure I get those done. Yeah, but they're just like 10 or 15 questions, just like any other 10 or 15 questions. So um, in fact, we've sort of advocated in many cases for the opposite approach where, uh, you know, get through all the other ones because they're faster to do. And then, you know, manage your time, keep your eye on the clock, give yourself 10 or 15 minutes or however long you think you want to make your, give yourself for those questions in the uh, in the case studies. Um, and then, you know, if you get to them, great. Um, and if you get to answer all of them, great. If they take because they take a little bit longer, but at least you answered, you know, um, most of the questions on the test. Um, they're not looking for you don't, you know. I don't know what the cut scores are. I don't think anyone except the folks at NCARB know what the cut scores are to pass the test. So no one knows how many points you need to get. But I'm sure you don't need to get 100% to pass this exam. So um, what you're looking to do is you're trying to get as many questions right as you can, as fast as you can, and then the leftover time perhaps goes to, to the case study. So that seems like a uh, perhaps a, uh, you know, a good approach to that. Yeah, sure, great point. I think it's uh, important to know that um, or to note that you know yourself best. Um, if, if you know if that approach is going to work for you, wonderful. If there's another approach, that's great too. But um, you know, it's it's not one recipe for success for each person. It's so it's nice true. to know they have options. That's very true. Um, alrighty. Well, um, so I suppose with that, um, maybe we'll bring this one to a close. So, uh, so first of all, I just want to thank everyone who's listened in. Uh, thank you guys for the questions. Thank you so much, uh, Heather, for uh, the insight that you've provided here. Um, and um, as a reminder to everyone else, if you'd like to attend our next uh, ARI Live podcast, where we'll be discussing construction and evaluation, uh, we're going to post the uh, the link in the chat box in your GoTube webinar control panel. We'll do it here in the next 30 seconds for you. Um, so just go down to where it says chat, and uh, the link will be right there. Um, or you can just go to blackspectacles.com slash podcast. You can register there as well. And just like today's episode, um, you'll have a chance to ask questions and share feedback during the broadcast. Um, to learn more about our ARE exam prep curriculum, you can go to blackspectacles.com, or you can try out any of the free course videos, um, as well as some practice exams and flashcards. If you want your boss to pay for your... Uh, your membership, which I always love to advocate for. Be sure to visit blackspectacles.com slash firms to learn more about our firm memberships for firms of any size. And for those of you who are ready to start preparing for the ARE right now, um, you can use coupon code UTQ32119PC to get a 15% discount for the entire duration of your ARE exam prep membership. And then finally, tomorrow we'll send you an email about today's live broadcast. So please let us know what you think. Um, and share any suggestions you may have. Uh, we're always looking for, for new topics and ways to improve uh, this webinar. So let us know what, uh, what you guys think. Um, we always use those to tune our next episodes. So with that, thank you guys for watching.